1: Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson.
2: It is Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. Every weekday, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, And then when the show's over, it becomes a podcast and it's free. GuyBensonShow.com. Should you miss any of the live broadcasts, which we always recommend listening to, across our affiliates, through the many ways to listen live, GuyBensonShow.com. It's all right there. Or, as I mentioned, the podcast on demand, no charge to you. Here's the lineup today. It's a Texas-sized show on this Wednesday. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas will be here this hour. In the next hour, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas will be here. And in our final hour, maybe not so much Texas-related, but we are looking forward to chatting with Dr. Marty McCary about COVID, natural immunity, vaccines, kids, the FDA. That's going to be a fascinating conversation, and it's all coming up on today's show. Fox News alert. As we begin, cases in the United States all in for coronavirus, 45.6 million, a vast undercount. The death toll, 739,259 with or of COVID. Those are Americans who have died during this pandemic. The Dow is down today. It's been up, up, and away for a couple days in a row, but now down 121 points at this hour to 35,634. I want to begin again on Virginia. It is crunch time in that governor's race. There is audio that you have to hear from the candidate on the Democratic side, but from the president of the United States as well. Joe Biden crossed the river from D.C. into Arlington, Virginia. It's the very first suburb. Deepest blue part of Virginia. They jokingly call it the People's Republic of Arlington. And that's where Joe Biden held a rally with Terry McAuliffe last night. And Biden said a lot of things that I want to get into play a couple of the sound bites here but you will not be shocked to learn one of the major themes if not the number one theme of this rally from joe biden he could not keep a certain someone's name out of his mouth over and over and over again this is what we heard cut five i ran against
3: donald trump and Terry is running against an acolyte of Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. Now he doesn't want to talk about Trump anymore. Well, I do. Donald Trump. Or Trump. Why Trump? Trump did this. That's who Donald Trump is. To Donald Trump. To Trump. Former President Trump. He endorses Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I love this one. Trump
2: to Donald Trump to Donald Trump. how oh, Donald Trump. It's just so exhausting. Now, they obviously have their data and their polling and their focus groups that are telling them you've got to scream Donald Trump as often as possible in the bluest parts of the state to try to scare Democrats into actually showing up. All right. That's the game plan. Donald Trump is not on the ballot. Glenn Youngkin's on the ballot, and he is a far cry from Donald Trump. Whether you love Trump, hate Trump, if you watch with your own eyes and your own ears and you're not an absolute pathetic hack, you can tell there's a world of difference between Glenn Youngkin and Donald Trump. But they are trying to morph these guys into the same person, and that's the way, I guess, they figure they can get their own people to turn out because they're depressed, they're demoralized, people are unhappy – unhappy deeply with what's happening in the country – They're dissatisfied. The president's approval rating we saw in the new poll yesterday is 41 percent in Virginia. And they're saying, well, Trump lost the state by 10 points. Let's just keep saying Trump. And hope for the best. And who knows, in a blue enough state, it might work. It's such a weak argument, though. And it's just so lame, like just over and over again. And I just is anyone left who's persuaded by that? Right. Is there someone over there on the Democratic side or there's like some trove of voters in northern Virginia who weren't really sure if they were going to turn out or not next Tuesday? And then they heard Joe Biden say the words Donald Trump for the 11,000th time. And they said, you know what? Yes. I must vote. Biden said some other things that. Or worse, in my mind, here's just like a cheap throwaway line in cut for a cheap shot from the president against Glenn Youngkin, the Republican running. Listen,
3: let's be clear. This is a guy who doesn't know much about anything.
2: Mm. I am going to try to be restrained in my response to that because I have some unkind, arguably disrespectful things to say. When I hear Joe Biden question someone else's knowledge or competence. This is a guy who doesn't know much about anything. All right, quickly, Mr. President, where are you and what's your full name? Glenn Youngkin successfully ran a massive company as CEO. He's been attacked for that by Terry McAuliffe, although Terry McAuliffe invested his own money (laughs) in the company and through assets of the company. So that sort of blew up in his face. But take five minutes and watch Glenn Youngkin talk and then take five minutes and watch Joe Biden talk and draw your own conclusion about who knows much about something or nothing. I'm not sure that is a comparison that Joe Biden needs to be or wants to be inviting, quite frankly, with all due respect, Mr. President. And then there's this line that is, I think, particularly gross from Joe Biden. I'll have quite a bit to say about it. Let's hear it first together in cut three.
3: Extremism can come in many forms. It can come in the rage of a mob driven driven to assault the Capitol. It can come in a smile and a fleece vest. Either way, the big lie is
2: still a big lie. Here's the thing about Joe Biden. Before he sort of became kooky, fun, Uncle Joe, sniffing women's hair and all that nonsense... For a long time, he had a reputation in D.C. as a blowhard and kind of an a-hole. And that Joe Biden still very much exists. And he showed up last night in Virginia for Terry McAuliffe with these cheap shots. He says their extremism comes in many forms. Then he tried to say something about creating a mob to storm the Capitol. He had some trouble spitting that out. He finally did, sort of slurring his way to his point. Then he says extremism comes in the form of a rage mob attacking the Capitol or it can come in a smile and a fleece vest. Either way, the big lie is still a big lie. So the fleece vest is a reference to Glenn Youngkin, who's campaigning in the fall, often wearing his Youngkin for governor fleece vest. And he's a friendly guy who often seems pretty cheerful. So he's smiling. Now, let's just set aside the fact that it is just shameless that Joe Biden and Terry McAuliffe are still trying to make like this big lie thing a part of the campaign, considering that Glenn Youngkin has rejected the 2020 big lie. He said Biden won the election. He said if he were in Congress, hypothetically, he would have voted to certify the election. He is not an election truther. Who is an election truther is Terry McAuliffe, an unapologetic election truther. And we've played you that audio. He called the 2000 election stolen for years and still won't back away from that. He had another election truther, Stacey Abrams, giant liar about her election, come campaign for him in Virginia. There is one big lie election denier in this race, and it's Terry McAuliffe. And yet they keep saying it's the other guy. Shameless. But what's worse about that clip from Biden is when he invokes January 6th and then ties Glenn Youngkin to it. Where he basically says, well, you've got extremism in the form of the Capitol riot. And then you've got it with a smile and a fleece vest, basically like Glenn Freaking yunkin is the walking human embodiment of January 6th. This is really, really gross. And here's the thing about this. I have very strong feelings about January 6th. I've said them here on the air. We were live on the air when the riot happened. I was basically doing play-by-play while I was horrified. I've talked about it here. I've written about it at townhall.com. I'm sure some of you don't agree with me. I think it was an absolute national disgrace. I think that the former president plays a large role in the blame. I've made those points. If the Democrats like Joe Biden and Terry McAuliffe, if they want all of us as a country to look back on John uh, on January 6th with horror and anger and a collective resolve to not ever let something like that happen again and say this is something worthy of this commission that they're running and the investigation and and the degree to which they keep talking about January 6th. If they want to make that an issue that's really about democracy and our country and it's not about party. They absolutely disgrace themselves and undermine that entire message by using January 6th as a cudgel to beat a guy like Glenn Youngkin over the head for crass, purely political reasons. That's all this is. To compare the January 6th riot and Glenn Youngkin in any way is to cheapen what they keep talking about as January 6th is this huge inflection point in our country. If you don't want people to see it as a cheap, partisan attack line or punchline don't use it as one but that is exactly what joe biden did and he can't help himself this man our president cannot help himself he called georgia's election law worse than jim crow what an insane insulting thing to say but he said it that's the old crank joe biden bubbling to the surface he can't help himself when our Border Patrol agents were falsely accused of whipping illegal immigrants with whips, totally bogus, not true. Joe Biden accused them of doing it and said they're going to pay. By the way, where's that investigation? I read a report that those agents haven't even been interviewed yet for that investigation. We were promised a very quick one from Mayorkas and, and that whole crew. It was a disgusting race-driven slander of our border patrol by the president for political reasons he cannot help himself. And then here on January 6th, oh, it's this sacred issue. And again, I was disgusted by it. I've called it a national disgrace. But to then do what they did, do what Biden did specifically in a scripted line, he was really struggling to read it, Bless his heart. But in a scripted line to basically conflate or compare a totally normal Republican candidate, like a right of center conservative running a positive campaign, talking about schools and issues. And basically say, well, it's all extremism, whether it's people, you know. uh, Busting into the Capitol. Or walking around with a smile and a fleece vest on the big lie still the big lie what a gross cheap tawdry thing to say i can't say i'm surprised cuz it's joe biden he can't help himself the election's next tuesday if i hadn't already voted i know that this this rally was supposed to rally democrats and fire them up if i hadn't already voted early Last night would have cinched it for me to go vote today against this garbage. I also want you to hear a soundbite from Terry McAuliffe as well. He was asked about parents' concerns about schools. His answer was also horrific, unsurprisingly. That MSNBC exchange when we come back on The Guy Benson Show.
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to
2: foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson here on The Guy Benson Show. So I teased this before the break. I did misspeak slightly. This clip is not from MSNBC. It's from CBS. But an interview with Terry McAuliffe running for governor in Virginia, Democrat. There are a lot of parents who are very upset about what's happening in schools, curricula, racialized activities, various equity efforts, critical race theory. Of course, there is the sexual assault cover up issue, which is a huge story in northern Virginia right now. And the interviewer at CBS wanted to know, okay, if you win, Terry McAuliffe, what are you going to say and how are you going to interact with these parents who are still going to have these concerns? And McAuliffe made very clear that his answer to those parents is pound sand. You're a bunch of crazies and pawns for the Republicans. And if you think that I'm exaggerating, listen to the exchange for yourself in Cut 22. If you win, how are you going to work with those parents who have concerns about how things are being taught in schools? Yeah. Across well, the let's, Commonwealth. let's
5: be very clear here.
0: This is all generated by Glenn Youngcomb. This is what MS-13, the Republicans
5: used on Governor Northam four years ago when he was running. They try to find a divisive tactic.
2: Wow. So there were MS-13 murders and other forms of violence, still are, in Virginia. It was a line of attack four years ago in a race in 2017 for governor. It was not a phony issue. It was a real issue. It didn't break through enough, and obviously the Democrats won that race. Trump had just won. But McAuliffe has asked, how are you going to work with the parents who do have these concerns? And he says this is all just a giant Glenn Youngkin thing, just like MS-13 was phony last cycle. He has absolute contempt for the parents of Virginia, and he doesn't even bother hiding it. Why should he? In his mind, it's a blue state. He's a Democrat. He's going to win. And even though he's lost a bunch of ground and a state that Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden won by 10 points one year ago is now tied in all the polls because a bunch of parents are flocking to Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin did not invent this. Glenn Youngkin is noticing something that is coming and bubbling up from the grassroots. It's parents right, left and center who are concerned about things, whether it's the racial stuff and CRT stuff, a few other controversies related to those types of issues or the conviction on rape that just happened. That was covered up in a major school district in Virginia. Terry McAuliffe sneers at all of that. Oh, it's a Glenn Yunkin fairy tale he's basically saying it's it's astroturf. This is what the Democrats did. Remember that in 2009, 2010? They got a rude awakening in that 2010 election, didn't they? Oh, this isn't real.
1: Out of the gates and ready to go.
6: Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio.
4: Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
2: This is all ginned up and fake. No, it's not. What an insult. Man, if this guy wins after all of the insults, what does that say? It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back.
1: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: Talking about the issues you care
1: about. Guy Benson.
2: It is the Guy Benson Show, guybensonshow.com. Our website, the podcast, is free. We've got Governor Greg Abbott of Texas coming up in just a few minutes I'm going to say a few more things about Virginia. And I understand if you don't live in Virginia, you might say, all right, you know, this is a lot of coverage on a national show about this one race. I think it's the biggest race in the country right now. I don't think that just myself. You look at Barack Obama and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, everyone else descending on Virginia to try to help Terry McAuliffe. And look at the lies and the disgusting tactics and attacks that they are resorting to in these final days. If you can sense, perhaps, listening to that first half hour, that I'm a little pissed off today, you are correct. And they're being really brazen about it. Apparently, at the rally with Biden last night, they were handing out copies of Toni Morrison's Beloved, which is one of the books that was featured in this controversy in Virginia. I guess a mother... was told by her son who was in high school that they had been assigned this book, and there was some uh, graphic description of bestiality in this book, which is an award-winning book. And Glenn Youngkin has been attacking Terry McAuliffe for twice vetoing bills that would have allowed parents to be aware of explicit material available in schools and have the option to opt their kid out of that particular material. That's what the legislation would have done. Terry McAuliffe vetoed it both times these were bipartisan bills a lot of democrats voted for these bills in the legislature including 14 members of the black caucus but because tony morrison the author of this particular book is black what the democrats of course have done and i mentioned this yesterday they said oh glenn youngkin wants to ban books and wants to erase this black author which is insane The Washington Post had already fact-checked Terry McAuliffe, not just about his endless lying about COVID, making up statistics to scare the hell out of people about kids, just making up numbers. So we got four Pinocchios on that one. They also fact-checked him on this. There is no book ban. The legislation would not have banned books. It was an option for parents to be aware. It was a transparency measure and an option for parents. And McAuliffe and his cronies have said, OK, this is a uh, book banning by Glenn Youngkin because he doesn't like a black female author. So you get fact checked by even the left leaning Washington Post that endorses every Democrat that comes in front of them, including Terry McAuliffe. They fact check him on this and he just keeps bulldozing ahead with the lies anyway. He has absolute contempt For parents in Virginia. And he continues to insult the intelligence of other Virginians. Like he knows that he's lying. He's been called out by his own side's newspaper, the Washington Post. It's a lefty paper for lying. He keeps lying anyway. Because he believes that enough people are going to hear the lie and believe it and get scared that book banning Glenn Youngkin, January 6th, Donald Trump going to come ruin the state, right? That's basically their closing message here. By the way, there's been other material. It's not this one book. There's uh, another piece of material in Fairfax schools with apparently a very explicit description of pedophilia. I guess some parents, believe it or not, aren't thrilled about that. And then there's another Material, Another book that has very explicit pornographic images in it, and there was a conservative group that actually put together an ad to run in Virginia that had images from the book itself, and they had blurred it out, the parts that need to be blurred out. All right? You can uh, do the anatomical math there yourself, and the TV stations rejected the ad because of obscenity concerns. They didn't want to air it because it was too obscene. That's the type of material that we're talking about. And McAuliffe is saying, oh, no, this is all this one book and it's all a racist dog whistle, even though a bunch of black Democrats voted for this particular legislation. It's just dishonesty all the way down. And McAuliffe is asked about parents who care about any of this stuff or object to any of it. He says, oh, it's all just a giant fake made up thing by Glenn Youngkin. It's pathetic. And the election is next Tuesday. With us now is Governor Greg Abbott. He's the Republican chief executive of the great state of Texas. And, Governor, it's great to have you back here.
0: Great to be back, Guy.
2: I first want to ask you a question because I had Governor Kemp from Georgia on yesterday. He's pretty excited because the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series. Now, of course, the Houston Astros from your state are in the World Series. Do you have a friendly wager with Governor Kemp over the outcome of this series?
0: It's called barbecue. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay
0: so e- either way i'm I'm going to win either i'm going to be uh eating his barbecue or i'll give him some of ours and i'll be eating our barbecue it's a win-win
2: all right are you still uh, keeping the faith even though the astros are down one game to none
0: no worries there's seven games we'll use them all
2: all right i actually wouldn't be surprised if this one went seven you might be right about that governor Let's talk about the situation at the border. This is an issue that I want to keep on the front burner on this show, just like Afghanistan and a few of these other giant Biden failures. It seems like there are so many Biden-related failures, whether it's on the economy or a whole host of issues, that we sometimes lose track of some of the big ones or don't pay enough attention to some of the big ones. And if you live in a state where it's not right on the border, maybe you have the luxury of occasionally forgetting about the absolute mess at the border crisis right now. But if you're on the border, you don't have that luxury. What can you tell us about the status quo, Governor, right now in your state at the southern border? And what can you tell us about these huge columns of people, the caravans, whatever you want to call them, uh, that are marching right now toward the southern border with the obvious intention of entering the United States illegally?
0: So first, the Biden administration continues to ignore the border, continue to promote these open border policies that are a complete disaster. Is one of the reasons why even the Democrats disagree with Biden on his border policy. And and, uh, independents and Republicans uh, view what Biden is doing as completely a catastrophe. So what the state of Texas is doing is we're stepping up and we are having to provide the response that the federal government should be uh, providing. Uh, we've deployed thousands of National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers, and they are preparing as we speak for these caravans that are coming. We are preparing for a repeat of what everyone saw take place in Del Rio, Texas, where we saw these thousands of Haitians who were coming across the border who really weren't from Haiti. They've been living in South America for almost a half a decade, if not longer. Right. But we 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 know that this caravan is coming, uh, and, and so we are uh, not just deploying officers, uh, but they are putting up all different kinds of barricades in different kinds of locations. We've identified the top 23 low-water crossings so that we can barricade and guard those first. Uh, one of those would include that Del Rio region, but there's others in addition to that Del Rio region. Uh, we're putting up razor wire. We're putting up uh, other types of barriers. We're, we're using every tool and strategy we can possibly use uh, to make sure that we – Uh, are going to prevent these caravans from coming across the border into Texas.
2: You know, Governor, we were talking the other day about how border apprehensions hit an all-time high on record in 2021. It just, the issue exploded, encounters exploded, more than 400,000 known gotaways on top of well over 1.5 million encounters. There's some unknown number of unknown gotaways as well. It is just a flood. It is a shocking, shocking number. And it's all happened, and, and the real uh, significant increase has happened on the watch of President Joe Biden. I saw this story from FoxNews.com today where internal enforcement here in the United States against people who shouldn't be here has dropped significantly over that same period of time. In fiscal 2021, ICE arrests dropped sharply as the Biden administration has restricted enforcement. So while they have kind of resorted to what has to be described at least as a quasi open border policy at the border when it comes to that enforcement, and we can see the results there, at the exact same time, they are drawing down their internal enforcement, which also just adds to this message that's being sent that our laws don't really matter, our border doesn't really matter, come here, stay here, you're probably going to be allowed to stay. It seems like many millions of people are getting that message, Governor.
0: So you talked about two very important topics I want to quickly address, and they are two different ways, two different approaches. One, the Biden approach. One is the Trump approach. One was the messaging that you're talking about. The message that Trump sent, and and that is that our border is secure, we're protecting our sovereignty, and that President Trump was going to do what was needed to make sure that we secured our border. And as a result, under President Trump, it led to all-time record lows in the number of people coming across the border just last year. Uh, The converse is true under uh, the Biden administration, where they are uh, through the strategies that you were talking about, they are sending the message to the entire world that the border is open, anybody can come across, and as a result, uh, we have a record number this year of people coming across the border from more than 150 countries across the entire world. And then the second thing you talked about was really what tools and strategies they're using. As as you may recall, what Trump did was very effective, and that is to impose the remaining Mexico policy, the Title 42 policy, uh, as well as the end of catch and release, and to build the wall. And what Biden has done, he's backtracked on all four of those, but, but he compounded the problem by doing exactly what you talked about. He's tying the hands of ICE, and he's not using ICE to do the job they were mandated to do by the United States Congress. And that's why Texas law enforcement is having to step up and do ICE's job. An example that some of your listeners may have seen uh, on TV earlier this week is where the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, they were stopping these trains and they were going into uh, automobiles that these trains were transporting, and migrants were inside these automobiles and they were arrested in Texas. And when we arrest them in Texas, we arrest them for uh, criminal trespass and we put them in jail as opposed to Biden's catch and release program.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's very obvious that this has been unleashed by President Biden and his policies. They're finally relenting on the remain in Mexico policy after that. Just disaster has played out month after month after month. And after a Supreme Court ruling against them, I guess they're throwing in the towel, at least for now, starting next month. They've made that announcement. They're very uh, they're very upset on the left that the Biden people are doing that. But uh, you sort of almost ask yourself if Texas and, and your resources were not being brought to bear the way that they are, how much worse would this problem be? Right? That's what sort of gives me a bit of a shiver, right? If the Democrats were somehow able to flip Texas, which they've been trying to do for a long time, and you know, Beto O'Rourke or someone uh, tries to you know, catch lightning in a bottle and becomes governor, I know you're going to do everything in your power to prevent that. But if, if you had a Democrat in control – down there, and a Democratic administration basically saying to the world, come on in, it's going to be fine, I mean, it would be an even more acute crisis. I mean, I think that's undeniable,
0: right? Well, it is it, very insightful that, that Kennedy probably hardly anybody people have thought of. But uh, yes, Texas is, is doing far more than any other state has done. In fact, I can tell you this, if, if you were to add together everything that every state has done in the history of the United States of America and multiply it times two, Texas is doing more than that to secure the border. And then the important point that you made, Guy, and that is Beto O'Rourke is, seemingly is about to announce that he's running for governor of Texas. And as you recall, when he ran for president, he advocated these open border policies even more aggressively than Joe Biden has. And if Beto were elected to be governor of Texas, it would be total open border chaos for the entire United States of America. The only thing uh, that is stopping that is my administration and and the thousands upon thousands of people, uh, whether it be law enforcement or National Guard, that we have on the border doing the federal government's job.
2: Well, look, if Beto gets into this race, we'll have a lot more to say about him because he ran for Senate and gave Ted Cruz a scare in a big Democratic year, didn't quite make it. Then, as you mentioned, he ran for president, and he really went off into left-wingville for anywhere, let alone Texas, and uh, we remember a lot of the things that he said. He might want to run away from them if he tries to run for governor, but they're on the record, and we will have more to say should he pull the trigger and decide to run for governor. Last question, and right before you came on, Governor Abbott, we were talking about the race in Virginia and one of the attack lines from the Democrats in the home stretch here of the election has been to say, oh, if Glenn Youngkin wins in Virginia, then they might turn Virginia into something that looks more like Texas. And I would say in a few respects, that would sound pretty good to me as a Virginia voter. But they think that that's going to be uh, you know, scary to some uh, Democratic voters in northern Virginia. They're trying to highlight certain issues in particular when they make that comparison. But if you just want to uh, address – the attack, that other states should not emulate Texas, specifically on like on the economy, jobs, uh, population, influx, inflow into your state. I've seen you've been tweeting about some of these things. Uh, what are some of those stats that people ought to think about when people start holding up Texas as a negative example?
0: So if, if Virginia goes down a pathway of emulating Texas, they better get ready— for skyrocketing job growth and economic development because Texas has been leading the country in both job growth and economic development. The most recent jobs report in September showed once again Texas is leading the nation in new job growth. We added 95,000 new jobs just in September alone. Texas has been ranked the top state for doing business for 17 years in a row. Texas has won the Governor's Cup for the most new economic development projects every year that I've been governor. We've seen most recently Tesla relocate its headquarters in the state of Texas. Company after company after company, they are fleeing states that are blue, and they're coming to the red state of Texas. Uh, And the same thing would happen in Virginia. Uh, People who run businesses – uh, they are fleeing uh, the leftist, liberal, blue state uh, policies, and they're going to red states. And so yeah. if Virginia were able to turn red, that would be tremendous uh, for the economy. It probably would lead to more jobs. And I'll tell you this, wages are rising twice as fast in Texas as they are nationally. And so well, it comes Governor-
2: Governor, I have to stop you because all this stuff you're saying, it's just chilling. I have a chill up my spine. It's the hellscape of Texas with all that opportunity, all those jobs, those rising wages. Sounds awful to me. It's just amazing. That's that's the what they're going with here uh, as part of their argument. And, of course, uh, you have something to say about that as the governor of Texas. Greg Abbott here on The Guy Benson Show. Governor, as always, thank you. Thank you, Guy. Take care. You bet. You too. It's The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back
1: you're listening to a new generation of talk generation of talk guy benson living the bream is a podcast hosted by fox news channel's shannon bream sharing inspirational stories personal anecdotes and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's listening to fox news
6: judge this is shameful This this testimony, your
0: directive, your performance is shameful. That's not... Thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You should resign in disgrace, Judge.
2: It's the Guy Benson Show. That was Senator Tom Cotton talking with the Attorney General in the hearing today in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Got a little heated. Understandably so, because the Attorney General has a lot of questions to answer. He didn't do a very good job. And that was sort of uh, what they call beast mode. From Tom Cotton, but I thought some of his questions that he asked earlier during his time were actually useful in drilling down and trying to corner Garland on some of his evasions. We talked about this when I was co-hosting Outnumbered today. We were dipping in and out of the hearing. There's no real excuse for the federal government and the DOJ and the FBI to be intervening on like school board meetings and threats or whatever. These are local issues. This is just a political setup. The White House was involved. This left-wing interest group was involved. It was massive overreach. It was an abuse. Garland didn't have good answers because there aren't good answers. So he dissembled and he evaded. We'll have more on that tomorrow. Another hour coming up. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
3: My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will I humbly say, single-handedly
0: save the world.
1: You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show.
2: It's a brand new hour here on the Guy Benson Show from the Tony Snow Radio Studios. Very glad to be here each and every day with all of you, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time and around the clock on demand for free on the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. That's the best place for all things related here to the program, GuyBensonShow.com. So yesterday on the show, I was singing the praises of Enos Cantor who is center for the Boston Celtics. I'm not a big NBA fan. I'm a sports fan, not an NBA fan. I'm becoming a fan of this guy. Like almost to the point that I'm wondering, do I need to go and buy like a jersey, an Anus Kanter jersey? I don't think I can actually bring myself to purchase an article of clothing supporting a New England sports team or a Boston sports team. I don't think I can quite go that far. But the fact that I'm even considering it is a testament to, to what this guy is doing. He is single-handedly looking around and saying, there is a huge amount of hypocrisy and cowardice among my peers on the issue of human rights, on the issue of equity and abuse and all the things that they profess to care about within certain contexts, but will not say one word when it comes to communist China. Because there's so much money at stake over there. And seemingly out of nowhere, because he's been good on human rights in other places. He's gotten many, many death threats because of his criticisms, I think many of them well-placed, of Tayyip Erdogan, who's the increasingly authoritarian leader in Turkey, which is the home country of Enos Cantor. But last week, he started turning up the heat on China, which is – As far as the major powers are concerned in the world, the number one abuser of human rights on the planet. I mean, there's some really bad ones up there. China probably takes the cake just because of the scale and the scope of the abuse, including, according to the State Department, under multiple party control, genocide, actual genocide. So Mr. Cantor decided, if I'm going to be consistent, I'm going to call this out. And he started with the issue of Tibet, which is a long standing controversy involving the Chinese Communist Party. He put out a short video, this is a few days ago. Here's part of it, cut ten.
4: Brutal dictator of China, Xi Jinping. I have a message for you and your henchmen. I will say it again, again and again, loud and clear. I hope you hear me. Free Tibet, free Tibet, free Tibet.
2: He then moved on to the issue of the Uyghurs and the genocide in Xinjiang province, the forcible rape, the systemic rape, the concentration camps, the reprogramming schools, right? these indoctrination centers that they're running, the slave labor. I mean it is just appalling what they are doing to ethnic and religious minorities. They have persecuted – such minorities for many years, Christians and others. In this case, it's Muslims in the western part of the country. And Enos Kanter drew attention to that as well with another message for Xi Jinping, the dictator of China, which is exactly what he calls him correctly, in Cut 11.
4: Heartless dictator of China, Xi Jinping, and the Communist Party of China, I'm calling you out right now in front of the whole world. Close down the slave labor camps and free the Uyghur people. Stop the genocide now.
2: Free the Uyghur people. Stop the genocide now. Now, last I checked, these videos had over a million views each. This is one man, not a superstar, but a well-known player trying to make a difference with his voice on an issue that sort of had become established as a third rail in the NBA, because we talked about this yesterday, where one of the leaders at the Houston Rockets, who's now elsewhere, I believe he's with the 76ers, but Daryl Morey, the former GM, he had tweeted in support of democracy in Hong Kong. I mean, it really shouldn't be controversial in the United States of America, but it was highly controversial, and the NBA got very angry, and there was a bunch of apologies, and players called him out siding effectively with the communists of Beijing because this was something, this was an action, simply supporting democracy was an action viewed as threatening to the gravy train and therefore it could not be tolerated by the kings, the self-proclaimed preening kings of wokeness. Now, yesterday, in my discussion about this, I was particularly pleased that Enos Cantor decided to also go after Nike. Nike is probably home to the biggest phony wokesters in all of corporate America. Their preening, their posturing, their BS here at home is hyper-woke. They want everyone to know. They went out and threw a ton of money, for example, at Colin Kaepernick. Actually, remember this? so They they made him the star of a whole ad campaign. Here's a reminder. Cut 15.
3: Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. If you have only one hand, don't just watch football. Play it. And if you're a girl from Compton, become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough.
2: The face of this campaign was Colin Kaepernick, who is unfortunately an anti-American race-baiting grifter. I would not have been that harsh about him in the past, but he has really grown into that role and made it unambiguous. Attacking the country, attacking the founding, 4th of July is a white supremacy holiday, cops are pigs, all that stuff. It's really gross. And Nike said, yep, let's give him a lot of money. We want him as our spokesman. Let's just shovel some cash at him. Part of it is protection payments, right? It's a racket, protection racket against the woke mobs. But it's also a supposed statement of the values of Nike. Nike's CEO, not long ago, was asked on an investor call about their investments in China and the things that they've done over in China, including, for example, taking Houston Rockets gear off of the shelves in their stores in China when the Chinese Communist Party got angry that the Houston Rockets general manager at the time had supported democracy in Hong Kong. Nike said, oh, no, that's not us. That's not us. We are we are in solidarity with you, Chairman Xi. We are in solidarity with you, Chinese Communist Party. We will not allow the people of China to have their eyes assaulted by gear of the Houston Rockets, whose general manager had the temerity to support democracy. We're going to fix that. Don't you worry. Please let us stay. Please let us make all that sweet cash. Communist China. And That's exactly what they did. Then they had a setback because they were not eager. Some of their competitors in China were celebrating the fact that they used slave labor from Xinjiang. And Nike wouldn't do that. So a bunch of psychos... In China decided to boycott Nike because they wouldn't celebrate slave labor. This was sort of like a nationalistic movement that they whipped up over there. The commies did. And Nike is, you know, are you concerned about this? And their CEO, Phil Knight, on this call said, Nike is a brand of China and for China. That was his quote. I mean, they are being quite clear about their intentions I'm a capitalist. I believe in making money, but if you're going to talk about your values, right, and the importance of equity and human rights and minority rights, but only in certain parts of the world, then you don't actually believe in anything, right? Believe in something, you have to sacrifice everything, or whatever the stupid slogan is. I don't know if they believe in anything over at Nike. Aside from selling shoes and making money, even though they want to make a giant show, that they do care so much. Same with the NBA. Same with a bunch of other companies. Same with some of the superstars of the NBA. And now what we're seeing from Enos Kanter is someone who actually believes in something and is willing to say so loudly and repeatedly, even if it means sacrificing something or everything. This guy's already gotten tons of violent threats. For what he said about his home country. Now he's talking about China. I guarantee you there is a lot of angst right now within NBA circles. Because calling him out for being pro-human rights would look so bad. And yet they want him to shut up so badly. We mentioned yesterday that he was calling out Nike for their phoniness. He ran through, oh, Black Lives Matter, stop Asian hate, LGBT, all this stuff here at home. But China, nothing, silence. And I made the point. It was worse than silence. Now he's out with new shoes that he's posted on social media where he's written on them, hypocrite Nike with blood spatters. He is not backing down at all. And he went further calling out the CEO of Nike himself, but not just the CEO of Nike. He went after. LeBron James, I would say all of this stuff that he has done about China has been an implicit rebuke of LeBron James, given LeBron's absolutely embarrassing performance on the Daryl Morey stuff, where he was actually agitating for Morey to get punished for saying what he said. Now the heroic human rights champion, that is LeBron James. Enos Cantor knew exactly what happened there, and he's doing this anyway, and then he made it even more explicit. He put out a tweet. He's got another video. Listen to this. This is cut twelve.
4: To the owner of Nike, Phil Knight, I have a message for you. How about I book a plane tickets for us? Let's fly fly to China together. We can try to visit these slave labor camps, and you can see it with your own eyes. LeBron James and Michael Jordan, you guys are welcome to come too. Nike must be a participant in this. Stop with hypocrisy. Stop the modern-day slavery now. There's a huge amount of
2: money at stake here between Nike and the NBA and between the NBA and China. They want absolutely no part of this, but Enos Kanter is forcing them. He is shoving this directly in their faces. Look at what you're doing. Look at the reality. How can you justify this? I want to remind you of what LeBron said back in 2019 when Daryl Morey committed the crime of sending a tweet in favor of democracy in Hong Kong. He called Morey. Misinformed, first of all. Misinformed is the term that he used. The guy praising democracy, standing up for democracy. Then he went on to say this and cut 13.
1: I don't want to get into a word a word, or sentence feud with Daryl. But Daryl Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on the situation at hand. And, um, and he spoke. And the, the, so many people... Uh, could have been harmed um, not only financially but physically emotionally spiritually Um, so just be careful what we what we tweet and we say and what we do even though yes we do have freedom of speech but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that too
2: yeah a lot of negative that comes with that free speech saying free hong kong stand for democracy i don't think lebron has really been asked too many follow-ups about that what was the negative harm that could come from supporting democracy LeBron, tell us, please, in your own words, since you're accusing other people of being so misinformed or not educated. You're super well educated, apparently, on geopolitics and China and democracy and and all sorts of uh, abuses over there. So please tell us, what's the harm of standing up for democracy in Hong Kong, LeBron? He said that people, so many people from these words could be harmed, not only financially. That was the one true part that he said. And that was the word that came first. Not only financially, that is the top concern here for LeBron James and the NBA, but physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Please explain that, LeBron, still. We've been waiting for two years. Who is going to be spiritually harmed? How? Who and how is going to be spiritually harmed by someone standing up for democracy in Hong Kong? Please explain that. He has not. What he did do was send a clear message as the superstar of the league, we're not going to tolerate this stuff because there's a lot of money at stake. So shut the hell up, people. We're going to kneel during the anthem. We're going to lock arms. We're going to do all the things here at home. But for the human rights abuse factory, that is the Chinese Communist Party, shut your mouth. Understood? And one guy apparently is saying, no, I don't understand. Enos Kanter. And now is inviting LeBron to go with him to China. To look at it for himself. I wonder if Nike or LeBron will respond to any of this. Maybe they will after they get their marching orders from Beijing. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
1: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
4: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: I'm Guy Benson. Welcome back. Since we're on the subject of China, I want to play you some audio. This is from a hearing that happened in the Senate. TikTok is a popular platform especially among the youths who make their videos and their dances and their funny little clips. And it is basically a Chinese espionage tool. I'm worried about data security, personal information that China is gathering on millions of people. But it's a fun platform. People love it, and so they use it. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas was asking Michael Beckerman from TikTok about whether or not TikTok user data to all that data within the privacy policy in their documents, whether that user data can flow back to China through an affiliate. And Cruz tried for minutes, like six or seven minutes, to get a simple yes or no answer from this representative from TikTok. And he could not get one. Let's listen to Cut 8.
0: Is Beijing ByteDance technology
2: a, quote, other affiliate of our corporate group, as your privacy policy defines that term.
5: Senator, as, as, as I pointed out before,
2: my answer is the same.
5: Yes or no? I, you didn't answer. Senator, I, I appreciate your trying with um, with
4: gotcha
2: questions. I'm just it's trying it's to not be, a gotcha just question. To be, I'm, I'm asking to be about true. your just policy. trying to be truthful and, a- and accurate about the c- Are the you willing between... to answer this question, yes or no? Senator, I answered the question. You have not answered the question. Is it another affiliate? Yes or no? I,
5: Senator, I, I stated um, a number of times that that entity is a domestic entity
2: within China for licenses there. And, is, a, and, and, not, and apples and is not are red. You stated something is that is not to, the question not I asked. To is to it another affiliate as defined under your privacy policy? Yes or no? Senator, I asked You're here under oath. Are you going to answer the questions? I or, answered or you, the question. Is or not, were you instructed not, not
5: to answer this question? No, no. Senator. I'm just, you're, so, you're,
2: so you're just not refusing to answer it because you don't want to?
5: Senator, it is not affiliated with TikTok. That's your question. That is the answer.
2: Now, it actually was not the question. The question is could the data go to this group as one of the affiliates, as stated under the privacy policy, and he would not answer the question? And this is not a right versus left thing. There was a lot of concern coming from Democrats on this stuff, too. And you have to ask yourself, why won't he answer it yes or no? My suspicion is strongly that the answer is yes. And he does not want to say that. And so he claims that it's been answered already and gives all these weasel words and dances and dances and calls it, you know, gotcha questions. It's actually a yes or no question. He would not say no. The answer is likely yes. Please bear that in mind, whether you're a TikTok user or a parent of a TikTok user. The Guy Benson Show continues after this break. The Guy Benson Show continues after this break. Stay with us.
1: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to
2: foxnewspodcasts.com. Guy Benson. Halfway through the show and halfway through the week on The Guy Benson Show, thank you so much for tuning in each and every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, podcast free every day as well, guybensonshow.com. We are joined by Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. He represents the 8th District in the Lone Star State, the top Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. And Mr. Ranking Member, great to have you back here, sir.
6: Hey, Guy. Thanks for having me. You doing well?
2: I am doing pretty well, although I have to say I'm getting a little dizzy watching all the news reports about what the Democrats are or are not doing, what they're considering, what they're ruling out when it comes to tax increases for this giant spending bid that they're still planning on trying to pass. We keep hearing, and I mentioned this last night on a special report, there were murmurs from leadership. Oh, they're very close. This could happen in a matter of hours. That was yesterday. Then nothing really happened. There were some very large outstanding issues that apparently were still up for debate within the Democratic Senate caucus. Then we saw last night late and today some more concerns and recalcitrance among certain Senate Democrats on various Provisions or potential taxes. I saw Bernie Sanders quoted today saying it's unlikely that they're going to get this done today, even though, again, Senate leadership and House leadership, they were expressing hope and optimism that they were very, very close. Are you hearing anything different beyond what the public reporting is? Or is this really a black box where everyone, including the Democrats, are flying blind?
6: Yeah, I think the second – look, Democrats are negotiating all this in secret, so all we get are the leaks, but it sure looks like it is uh, an unbelievable mess. It's clear they don't have the votes to pass the $2 trillion of taxes that the Ways and Means Democrats have proposed. Uh, but, uh, look, they're, running, they, they're still running the same game plan. They're just, they're just using some different plays. The outcome of all this is just the same. We're going to have crippling tax increases that kill jobs, and economic growth. We are going to surrender economically to the world and drive our jobs overseas. They're going to hammer small businesses and with all this spending, they're going to drive inflation higher. And so right now, it looks like they're still looking at half a trillion dollars or so of taxes on our local small businesses. Now they've come up with three new harebrained schemes to, uh, to uh, uh, raise taxes on uh, businesses, uh, on the successful uh, even punishing, they really p- propose putting a new tax on retirement plans by punishing companies that invest back in their own stock, which is so important to seniors if you're retired or workers if you're, you know, planning on retirement. So it is, it is an unbelievable mess. I, I don't see how they uh, pull this all together in time for the president to have his big win before he goes to Scotland on climate change. But they are sure pushing hard for it.
2: Political question here before I get to a few policy questions. This was part of my theory that I stated on air yesterday with all of the positive sounds coming out of Schumer and Pelosi and some of the other leaders really conveying optimism and an imminent deal. And then you get the actual details about the snags and the disagreements that remain and then the comment, for example, from the Progressive Caucus saying, no, we're not going to allow Pelosi to just give us a deal in principle. We really have to have a rock-solid deal before we consider any of this. That was kind of the opposite of what leadership was saying. That was uh, a contradiction and attention last night. I mentioned the Bernie Sanders quote from earlier today, which seems to fly in the face of what leadership has been saying publicly. Do you think that there might be – tactically speaking, an effort on behalf of the leadership on the Democratic side to manufacture momentum, right? So maybe like the true momentum and the imminent sense that this might get done in a matter of an hour or two, could that actually not be reality but instead what they are saying publicly to try to almost conjure a reality? Will it into existence?
6: Yeah, you are right on target. They're trying to create a false sense of inevitability that this is getting done. Everyone needs to get on board. I think there's a second reason they're taking this approach, which is they've already kicked all their so called moderates to the curb once on uh, infrastructure. They promised them now a second deadline for a vote before uh, Halloween. That's not going to happen in any way, and so I think they're trying to trying to mollify their moderates that they really are pushing to meet that timetable. They won't, they won't, at least I don't believe they will. And they'll probably kick the can down the road through December, early December uh, with the debt ceiling date as well. But yeah, I, you could get exactly right. But one thing they're not saying is that man, the American public has soured on all of this. They are, they, they believe president Biden is bungling the economic recovery. They know he's a million jobs short. The labor shortage is worse. In fact, he's tomorrow is a big day for him economically. It'll be, you know, how fast did, or how slow did the economy grow in the last quarter? And the truth of the matter is that even within all the dumbed down expectations, it's likely the president missed his third quarter in a row where the economy grew below what people expected it to do. So I think, well, yeah, I think there are serious questions about his confidence to heal the economy.
2: You mentioned public opinion. I saw some polling just today where you had Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin, two of the sticking points on the Senate side. There were polls from their states, right? Arizona, West Virginia, respectively, where people were not excited about a bunch more federal spending. So I know the activists are very angry at these two and they're chasing Sinema into bathrooms and filming her and all sorts of crazy stuff. And they are kayaking to the houseboat of Senator Manchin. But these people were elected by their constituents back in their states who don't seem terribly keen on this giant scheme, and I think that's also starting to play out in other states as well. I do want to ask you because you're a taxes guy, not a pro-tax guy, but I remember in tax reform in 2017, you were one of the crucial members as a chairman of that committee putting that bill through, and it's now, of course, law. As you look at some of the changes that Democrats are proposing on taxes – It's hard to keep track. This goes back to the whiplash I was describing earlier. What's in, what's out, what's under consideration, what's been scuttled by one of the two aforementioned senators. But there was a period of time, and I saw the uh, the Secretary of Treasury defending this on TV just a few days ago, that the Democrats were actively considering a tax on income that hasn't even materialized yet, potential future income. They were going to tax in one provision. Can you talk about that? Because – the fact that it was even under consideration, that seems very scary to me because that's a Pandora's box in my mind, Congressman.
6: It, it is, Guy, and they call it wealth tax. But in truth, for the first time, Democrats want to tax money Americans haven't even made yet. And once they can do that for one group of taxpayers, it's only a matter of time before they do it to you that this approach uh who they can you
2: explain though can you just explain how that would work Because they say oh we want to tax unrealized gains and so wealth tax and it only affects billionaires i think there's always the worry as you've just alluded to that these types of tax grabs and revenue grabs can trickle down so to speak to other income groups in spite of all the promises we've seen this movie before from democrats what was the mechanism they were talking about here
6: yeah so so look in in real life um you know, many of us own a home. Uh, we, we pay for it. We do the maintenance. We pay the property taxes. Over time, uh, it grows in value. Uh, they, for others, you're buying stocks. You're buying other things that are growing in value for your retirement, for your nest egg. What they want to do, starting with billionaires, is before you even sold it, before you even really have that gain in hand, have earned that income, they want to tax that in about three different ways, uh, including forcing Americans to write a check for all that interest, all that inflation, all that gain of value through the decades. They want you to cut a check now, even though you, haven't, you don't have the money yet. It, it is That's unrealized. Right. And, so, and by the way, th- this approach has been tried by a lot of foreign countries, including socialist ones like France, and they abandoned it. Why? France said it really, this wealth tax, generate no revenue. And it drove investment out of our country. So, look, if a socialist country like France tells you this is an idea that's really bad, why are they even considering it? Or why are
2: well, Democrats because they're desperate. Yeah, because they're desperate. They have to somehow make the math work on paper so they can justify this giant amount of spending that they keep saying will cost zero dollars, and yet they are scraping the bottom of the barrel for politically palatable tax increases. To pay for the stuff that they say costs zero dollars, it's, it's incoherent in a lot of ways. You know, Congressman, I mentioned the 2017 tax reform that you were one of the leaders on, the tax cuts. I've made a few of these points in the last two weeks on the air, but I want to give you an opportunity as well because you remember that debate extremely well. And we heard from Speaker Pelosi at the time saying that bill, now that law, would be Armageddon for the country, the end of the world people would die. Thousands of people would die from tax reform. They also said their argument basically was that the federal government would be starved because they wouldn't have enough revenue to pay for basic services for folks. And it would just be a huge, huge disaster, especially for uh, less fortunate people. The reality has been Just the opposite. There was uh, really robust growth in 2018, 2019. We were cooking with gas before the pandemic slowed everything down and sort of ground everything to a halt. But even in the middle of the pandemic, corporate tax revenues in 2021 were at a record high. And I'm so old that I remember Democrats predicted exactly the opposite of all of these things. And you would think all of those wrong Demagogic, over-the-top, hyperbolic predictions should be in play. Should be a point of reference when the Democrats are now making new arguments when it comes to tax and spend policy. Yes, uh, Guy,
6: can I just take you around me uh, with me around the world in Congress to explain <laughs> how that actually worked? Because you you nailed it. Every claim they made has been fact-checked as wrong, from from economic growth that far exceeded expectations to 2019 where you know, household income that families had in America, it surged more in one year than in all eight years under President Obama and Joe Biden. We saw the lowest poverty, but the one I really love is for the first time in um, most lifetimes, income inequality began to shrink. Why? Because we were helping people who'd been left behind in that old high-tax uh, code, including blue-collar workers, low-income, skilled, others, uh, unskilled, and, and others. And as you said, look, we've now enjoyed three of the highest years of revenue in America's history, including the last one where both businesses and individuals paid more taxes than ever into the government. So, look, bottom line here is Washington has got all the money it needs. It just doesn't have all the money it wants, and that's what Democrats are coming after, your paycheck, your job and frankly hammering small businesses while they do it.
2: You know, one curiosity that I have for you, Congressman, on a more personal note, last question. You've announced that you're retiring. We've talked about that before. Shortly after you made that announcement, we had you on to discuss it. Now that it looks, I would say, increasingly likely that your party, the Republican Party, is poised to gain seats and perhaps win back the majority. I say probably favorite at this point to win back the majority in 2022. You obviously have a very important influential perch, especially if you get the gavel back in some of these committees. Do you ever look at 2022 and look at post-2022 politics and maybe just wonder a little bit, am I getting out of this game a little too soon? Could the good times be coming again?
6: So uh, No, but I will tell you, what, as we talk, I love my job. I love these issues. I love being in this tax fight because there's so much at stake in this, both for America and just for working families. Uh, here's the great news. We are so over-talented, super talented on the Ways and Means Committee, for example, on so many of our committees. I'm, I, I'm really optimistic about our leadership and, and our role and our agenda. And so I'm spending my time right now defeating these tax hikes, and then helping make sure we've got everything ready to roll when we take back the majority. So uh, that, it's pretty rewarding just to help help the new generation of leaders step up. And, and let me just tell you, they are they are fantastic.
2: All right, fair enough. And I know that you guys are working to try to defeat whatever the Democrats have cooking. Of course, the problem is the Democrats. If they get in line, they have the votes. They control everything, and they can do this without a single Republican vote. So. The argument can be made. The case can be made. The polls suggest that public opinion is shifting on this. But if the Democrats are able to get their ducks in a row and pass something, they're going to be able to do it. And that is because of what happened in recent elections. And it just reminds everyone how important and crucial the 2022 elections are going to be to put a brake on unified unmitigated control of washington dc by the democratic party and that is a very realistic attainable goal but it won't happen automatically it's going to take actual effort and it will be a point of emphasis here on this show for the next year plus congressman kevin brady of texas their eighth district down there the ranking republican on the powerful house ways and means committee always enjoy having you sir and we'll have you back soon thanks guy take care it is the guy benson show we will be right back
1: you're listening to a new generation of talk, generation of talk, Guy Benson. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Back on the Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. You know, I remember when Joe Biden was running for president, talking about being a unifier. He's talking about being a moderate, right? They didn't nominate Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. They nominated someone more in the middle. That's how they wanted to govern and felt like they could have perhaps some success. Joe Biden, in a lot of ways, has been governing as if he were Elizabeth Warren. Here's a story from the Washington Free Beacon. I saw the White House was promoting this. Kamala Harris, the vice president, was promoting this. And I think it probably falls under the umbrella of Woke Tales. Now, here's the headline. White House gender equity plan. There's your buzzword right there. Calls for elimination of cash bail. Subheadline United States saw unprecedented murder spike in 2020, according to FBI data. As the country faces an unprecedented murder spike, President Joe Biden is claiming that eliminating cash bail for violent criminals is critical to promoting, quote, gender equity and equality. A 42-page report from the White House Gender Policy Council entitled, quote, The National Strategy on Gender Equity outlines a whole-of-government approach to ending so-called inequality between men, women, and transgender people. Among the critical steps necessary to remedy disparities between these groups, they say, the White House alleges that it must work to overturn cash bail a legal mechanism that proponents say helps keep violent criminals off the street. The Biden administration's decision to push for a radical criminal justice reform measure, even as broad swaths of the public say they are concerned about rising violence and crime, reflects the political tensions of an increasingly unpopular president who feels compelled to placate his party's radical base. Polling from the summer showed crime emerging as a top issue for voters and, And some Democrats blamed rioting during BLM protests for their poor down-ballot performance last November. According to FBI data, the country saw nearly a 30 percent increase in homicides in 2020. So it's interesting to think about the idea of cash bail reform. There are arguments pro and con. Eliminating it is something out of the sort of woke wish list. And to say, oh, yes, let's eliminate cash bail for accused violent criminals and let's do it under the auspices of a whole of government approach in an official White House document on gender equity. It's like we're getting awfully close to a bingo on the woke bingo card here just from this story. I saw Josh Krossauer, who's on this show a lot, He's a very moderate political analyst. He saw this story and he asked, is the White House trying to lose the midterm elections? I don't know but their priorities are quite something i wonder what they think of the national strategy on gender equity and cash bail in beijing for example as they are apparently developing supersonic missiles and various methods of potentially taking down u.s satellites in outer space that's what they're focused on we're focused on this how confident does that make you feel final hour of The Guy Benson Show is coming up. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Marty McCarry joins us straight ahead. Thank you for tuning in every week, day 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. If you miss any of the show as it airs, there's a podcast available. GuyBensonShow.com. That's Around the Clock on Demand. And this hour is sponsored by The Finnish Long Drink. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can find out where they are sold near you or order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only, please. We are joined now by Dr. Marty McCary, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins. He's the author of the book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare." I follow him on Twitter at Marty McCary, M-A-K-A-R-Y. Doctor, great to have you back. Good to be with you, my guy. All right, I want to start with this issue of natural immunity, and you've been beating this drum now for a while, and I saw you announced on social media just recently that You're going to stop complaining about it, although you're going to still call out the federal government for relative inaction and all the resources that they have at their disposal, not using any of them or deploying any of them to research this crucial question. You and your team at Johns Hopkins are going to attempt to get some good usable data on the question of natural immunity, people who get COVID and recover from COVID, those antibodies and how protective they are, how long they last, that type of thing. What's the scope of what you're trying to do and to what end?
5: Well, that's exactly right, guys. So we've had a few doctors making all the COVID decisions in the United States, and they're old school doctors, and they're not doing certain things they should be doing, like inviting people who got infected 18 and 19 months ago to come in and have their blood drawn and check them for antibodies of all kinds, do a formal analysis, look at the immunity profile. That is research that we should have that we don't have. Right now, the best data we have is six to 10 months, and that's from Israel. So clearly, they don't want this data. They don't want the results. They don't want to look at their testing data to see when people test positive after they've recovered. So I've taken it on myself to lead my... Wait, hang on. Before we get to...
2: Before we get to that and what you guys are doing, you said they don't want the data. Why? Why wouldn't they want data on a huge, huge element, a huge, huge question within the policy realm, the public health policy realm during this pandemic, as we hopefully come out of the pandemic? Why would anyone at that level not want to have good data?
5: Because it undermines the vaccine for all message, which is generally a good message, but they see it as threatening to a very simple and streamlined message to tell every single human being to get vaccinated as the only path out of the pandemic. So that's what they that's what they tell me privately. That's what many doctors have even suggested uh, that I recognize to tell me to stop talking about natural immunity. As you mentioned, I've been beating this (laughs) drum now for a year and a half. Where's the data? We need it. So we're going to do it at Johns Hopkins. We're leading this study.
2: Okay, so tell us about it.
5: Yeah, so we've um, invited people, and and the study, by the way, got so much of a response. We had so many people volunteer (laughs) that it's closed now. So I just want people to know we're not accepting new people. Well, we've got a lot of folks, over 1,000, who now have had their blood drawn, and we're looking at at the results, and we're going to get the final results in the next few weeks, maybe several weeks. Uh, We'll see what the data show. But the hypothesis is that natural immunity is durable, it's effective, it's solid, or, you know, it may wane. It may be no good uh, close to two years. We'll find out. But this is data that we need right now to inform policy. All the other data suggests that it's going to be solid. So we'll see. We've got a big team. There are a lot of independent people verifying the data. So there's no, inter- no one has to worry about, you know, interference with political ideology on the results. This will be a solid scientific study.
2: You know, I'm just reflecting on what you said a moment ago in response to another question. I can understand why people would want to keep messaging clear and simple and would therefore perhaps be concerned about other factors coming in and perhaps muddying the message, and that seems to be part of the thrust of the pushback you've gotten talking about natural immunity. That is an interesting debate to have, I would say, on a PR level, right, or in terms of how messaging ought to occur. But in terms of actual science – and medicine doctor, it is really, I think, scary to me that you wouldn't be hearing from maybe politicians or journalists or other leaders asking questions about this, but fellow doctors and scientists saying, we don't want that data because it might complicate the messaging. To me, that is something other than medicine or science.
5: It's dishonest for a scientist to talk like that, in my opinion. We can both encourage vaccination among non-immune adults and be honest with the data on natural immunity. And by the way, we have the same issue with therapeutics, such an intense focus on the vaccine strategy to get out of the pandemic that there's been a downplaying of things like molnipiravir, Merck's new drug that cut deaths to zero among COVID patients. And a simple uh, steroid nebulizer treatment, which works. And hypertonic saline spray, which which is effective in the data, but no pharma executive gets rich from it. So, again, we've got a small group of people making all the decisions, and they're very paternalistic. We see it over and over again. We even saw it with home testing. We encouraged from day one of this pandemic— that we develop a test that people could run at home, and that would be an effective strategy rather than fill up our emergency rooms. And yeah. for a year and a half, you know, we had the debate. Finally, we got it. We had this debate with home pregnancy tests. Medical profession argued, you know, uh, we don't want people to get this information on their own. It has to be done by a physician and report the results reported by a physician. We had the debate with HIV People are saying no one should be able to test themselves for HIV. We have to do it. That paternalism is an old school mentality, and that has been a major barrier every step of the pandemic.
2: I was going to say it blows my mind still as we're having this conversation that you would have actual scientists and doctors saying, no, we don't want more data. No, we don't want more information because it might be too complicated for the dum-dums out there in America. And we want to make sure that our way is what's being focused on and our message doesn't waver and there's nothing sort of at the periphery of it. And therefore, let's just not even really look at the research or do the research. That, as I said earlier, is something other than science. That is politicized science. That is not medicine. It is something altogether different. And on this point, doctor, I just recently got back from a trip overseas, finally got abroad for a short vacation, went to Greece, and it struck me as very interesting going over to Greece. I had all sorts of options from the government over there in order to be granted access to that country. I had to provide either proof of vaccination, and they had a number of approved vaccines, including all the American ones, or... A negative test in the last 72 hours PCR or a negative test in the last 48 hours rapid test antigen or a doctor's attestation that I had recovered from COVID, meaning that I would have natural antibodies. I could do any of those four and get into Greece to come back to the United States as a United States citizen. I had to show proof of vaccination and one of those tests that I mentioned, and there was no option on – natural antibodies at all. I'm wondering why the science is good enough for the government of Greece, but not even close to good enough to even have it in the realm of options for a U.S. citizen coming back as far as the U.S. government is concerned.
5: Well, in in parts of Europe and Israel, they recognize natural immunity because the scientists there have not lost their objectivity because Political doctors, that is, government physicians uh, who follow a group think led by Dr. Fauci, have decided here to disregard natural immunity. It's amazing. They have $50 billion at the NIH between the CDC and the NIH and 30,000 employees. They couldn't do this study on natural immunity to just answer the question. Instead, they're parading around the world that we don't know about natural immunity so, you know, I've got a budget of a million dollars, not 50 billion, but I got a million dollar research budget and eight eight staff. I mean, it's not 30,000 staff, but we're going to answer this question once and for all. You know, they're too busy with their funding, uh, testing the dogs and beagles and torturing them. And, uh, you know, they, it's insane. They spent 20 billion dollars on animal experiments and they can't find the time to answer this big question that the American people are, are asking. And the rest of the world knows is a legitimate uh, deal. Natural immunity is is real, and the rest of the world recognizes
2: it. Well, and whenever they say they don't know, because that's been sort of the standard answer from Dr. Fauci, it's a good question, but we don't know on natural immunity. It seems like the translation from you is they don't want to know for various political non-scientific reasons. Dr. McCary, I want to get your reaction to the FDA panel advancing This process of approving the Pfizer vaccine for children 5 to 11. I know there are still questions about that. There's questions about the data. I'm a very pro-vaccine person. I got my vaccination as soon as I possibly could for COVID-19. I know friends who are parents saying we're not sure yet about whether our kids, especially younger kids, would benefit from this, really need this at all. And there are concerns out there floating about regarding Mandatory vaccines for schools, for example, for covid, a virus that does not in an overwhelming way, does not negatively impact in a severe sense young children. What is your analysis and your medical opinion on vaccines for kids when it comes to covid and potential vaccine mandates for kids on this disease, given what we know?
5: Well, there's no one-size-fits-all strategy, and that's unfortunately not what you're hearing. You're hearing a one-size-fits-all strategy from all the public health leaders and a bunch of the TV doctors and the mainstream media. Let me break it down for you. If the kid has a medical comorbidity, the answer is yes, they should get vaccinated. If they had the infection in the past, they have natural immunity, the answer is no. For everybody else, they're going to have to decide if a healthy kid has benefits that outweigh the risks. And I do think the numbers favor vaccination in reducing deaths and overall health problems. It also may reduce community transmission, not eliminate it. But you know what? We've got to respect parents who have concerns about the study being too small. And it was too small to look at rare, serious adverse events. And some people are going to have concerns about the deaths after vaccination. That is real. They're rare. There have been documented cases of kids dying from the vaccine. So overall, if it were me, if I had a child that didn't have uh, COVID, I would say I think I probably would. But we don't know what the risk is in a post-pandemic era. In other words, the study was done during the Delta wave, where now we're going to be at much lower rates. The risk level is different. So we've got to respect individual decisions on this. And if you do have it, it doesn't have to be two doses, three weeks apart or nothing, It could be one dose or you could spread those two doses out by three months, which is a better strategy than three weeks.
2: We have the CDC director saying, well, even if you do get a bunch of kids vaccinated, we still probably going to have to wear masks in schools anyway. Just like no off ramps to anything ever is how it feels. And it's breeding a lot of resentment and further, I would say, mistrust, which is why already you can sense battles brewing over mandates, not just for adults, you know, for employment and that sort of thing, but for kids especially given, as you point out, the much, much, much lower risk profile, thank God, for children when it comes to this virus. Doctor, I do want to play for you a soundbite. This is from the FDA panel, from their conversation about the Pfizer vaccine for children. And I've seen this clip being shared a lot on social media. I don't really know what to make of it. I don't want to feed into misinformation or misplaced hysteria. Again, I put my record on Pro vaccination sentiment up against anyone. And I strongly believe in these COVID vaccines. When parents hear a clip like the one I'm about to play for you, this was from yesterday about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine for children, and you just read the transcript, you hear it for yourself. I think it is fair for people to ask questions. Okay, what did he mean by this? This is a Dr. Rubin in cut 16. Listen.
7: We're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it, yeah you know, that's just the way it goes
2: we 're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Can you translate that for us because that doesn't sound great to my ears
5: <laughs> no it doesn't it doesn't sound like what a parent wants to hear right now, and look, I think he's being honest that there are some unknown risks to the vaccine that are probably likely rare, but the study that we have and that the FDA was considering yesterday is too small. It's too small. When you have a study that's 2,000 people, how do you look at a complication rate of myocarditis that affects one in 9,000 boys? And that's about the rate. You know, what you're going to see is when this gets greenlighted and the CDC panel, by the way, that's a kangaroo court. The FDA has got real experts. The the CDC panel, they're going to meet next Tuesday and Wednesday. They literally fire members for not agreeing with their group thinks. So they're definitely going to green light it. Once you see that, you're going to see this incredible pressure on every parent to get the vaccine. And the reality is we've got to respect people who have a concern that there are rare complications that we have not yet described. That is true, that we have not yet fully described the complication profile in that age group.
2: Dr. Marty McCarry, Fox News contributor, surgeon and professor at Johns Hopkins. His book is The Price We Pay. Doctor, always appreciate your insights, your time here on the show, and good luck with that research on natural immunity. It is obviously a huge piece of the puzzle, and I'm glad someone is looking into it in a serious way here in the United States. Thank you. Thanks so much, Guy. Dr. Marty McCarry, on The Guy Benson Show. We will take a break. We'll come right back. Don't go anywhere.
1: Fresh Conservative Talk, Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominic, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominic Podcast. Subscribe and
2: listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. We are here on the Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here. Last night the World Series began. In Houston, Texas, I'm excited for the series to shift to Atlanta, just sort of as a middle finger to Major League Baseball and the commissioner in particular. I saw the commissioner put out a statement or made some comments saying, well, as a rule, we really try to stay apolitical, and there was one high-profile exception, and obviously we're going to try to go back to the rule in the future. Now, he just got hoodwinked and bullied by a woke mob filled with ignorant bloviation including from the president of the United States and Major League Baseball panicked and made a stupid move, an unjust move. He didn't apologize. He didn't say it was the wrong thing. He seemed to kind of hint that they don't want to go through something like that again. I just have no confidence that Major League Baseball under its current leadership will resist the next time a big mob gets angry about something. Since they caved in such pathetic Fact-free fashion this time, based on a lot of heat, but not a lot of light, and a lot of misinformation and partisanship. In any case, the Atlanta Braves jumped out to an early start last night, never looked back. They won the game six to two. Game two is tonight, just after eight p.m. Eastern time, on Fox. Six-two game, and I don't know exactly what time it ended. Dan, I don't know if you were watching, but. These games go forever. It felt like midnight, maybe later, that that game finally ended. That's an issue.
6: Yeah, these games tend to always go longer. I mean, four hours for a World Series game is pretty normal, especially with these two teams and just taking their time. And things just always, always, always take so long.
2: Yeah, I mean, I get it. And I don't like gimmicks to speed the game up. But it also affects younger fans, kids being able to stay awake. I don't know what the solution is here, but... The game finally ends. I'm like, oh, it's after midnight. What are we doing? Anyway, go Braves. Not a Braves fan, but I am for the next week or two. I think many Americans are. As I said, game two tonight on Fox, 8 p.m. or so Eastern time. The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour is back right after this short break. Don't go anywhere.
1: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
2: Texas Governor Greg Abbott joined us earlier on the show here today on the Guy Benson Show. Interesting conversation with the governor of the Lone Star State. Here's part of my chat with Greg Abbott. I first want to ask you a question because I had Governor Kemp from Georgia on yesterday. He's pretty excited because the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series. Now, of course, the Houston Astros from your state are in the World Series. Do you have a friendly wager with Governor Kemp over the outcome of this series?
0: It's called barbecue. Okay. So either way, I'm going to win. Either I'm going to be eating his barbecue or I'll give him some of ours and I'll be eating our barbecue. It's a win-win.
2: All right. Are you still uh, keeping the faith even though the Astros are down one game to none?
0: No worries. There's seven games. We'll use them all.
2: All right. I actually wouldn't be surprised if this one went seven. You might be right about that, Governor. Let's talk about the situation at the border. This is an issue that I want to keep... On the front burner on this show, just like Afghanistan and a few of these other giant Biden failures, it seems like there are so many Biden related failures, whether it's on the economy or a whole host of issues that we sometimes lose track of some of the big ones or don't pay enough attention to some of the big ones. And if you live in a state where it's not right on the border, maybe you have the luxury of occasionally forgetting about the absolute mess at the border crisis right now. But if you're on the border, you don't have that luxury. What can you tell us about the status quo, Governor, right now in your state at the southern border? And what can you tell us about these huge columns of people, the caravans, whatever you want to call them, uh, that are marching right now toward the southern border with the obvious intention of entering the United States illegally?
0: So first, the Biden administration continues to ignore the border, continue to pro- promote these open border policies that are a complete disaster. Is one of the reasons why even the Democrats disagree with Biden on his border policy. And, and uh, independents and Republicans uh, view what Biden is doing as com- completely a catastrophe. So what the state of Texas is doing is we're stepping up and we are having to provide the response that the federal government should be uh, providing. Uh, we've deployed thousands of National Guard, as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers, and they are preparing, as we speak, for these caravans that are coming. We are preparing for a repeat of what everyone saw take place in Del Rio, Texas, where we saw these thousands of Haitians who were coming across the border who really weren't from Haiti. They've been living in South America for almost a half a decade, if not longer. But we we, we know that this caravan is coming. uh, And and so we are uh, not just deploying officers, uh, but they are putting up all different kinds of barricades in different kinds of locations. We've identified the top 23 low-water crossings so that we can barricade and guard those first. Uh, one of those would include that Del Rio region, but there's others in addition to that Del Rio region. Uh, we're putting up razor wire. We're putting up uh, other types of barriers. We're, we're using every tool and strategy we can possibly use uh, to make sure that we uh, are going to prevent these caravans from coming across the border into Texas.
2: You know, Governor, we were talking the other day about how border apprehensions hit an all time high on record in 2021. It just, the issue exploded, encounters exploded, more than 400,000 known gotaways on top of well over 1.5 million encounters. There's some unknown number of unknown gotaways as well. It is just a flood. It is a shocking, shocking number and it's all happened and and the real uh, significant increase has happened on the watch of President Joe Biden I saw this story from foxnews.com today where internal enforcement here in the United States against people who shouldn't be here has dropped significantly over that same period of time in fiscal 2021 ICE arrests dropped sharply as the Biden administration has restricted enforcement so while they have kind of resorted to what has to be described at least as a quasi-open border policy at the border when it comes to that enforcement. And we can see the results there. At the exact same time, they are drawing down their internal enforcement, which also just adds to this message that's being sent that our laws don't really matter. Our border doesn't really matter. Come here. Stay here. You're probably going to be allowed to stay. It seems like many millions of people are getting that message, Governor.
0: So you talked about two very important topics I want to quickly address, and they are two different ways, two different approaches. One, the Biden approach. One is the Trump approach. One was the messaging that you're talking about. The message that Trump sent, and that is that our border secure, we're protecting our sovereignty, and that President Trump was going to do what was needed.
2: My full interview and all of today's show available online and in the podcast. It's free, on demand the resource that you can go to every day for all of it, guybensonshow.com. If you're looking for that free on-demand podcast, foxnewspodcast.com, also an option, or wherever you get your podcasts, of course. When we come back, producer Christine in our home stretch has a new get-rich-quick scheme. They're always terrible. This one apparently involves cars. I know nothing about it. We'll explain. Brace yourself. It's coming up. For
1: the full interview and more, go to guybensonshow.com.
2: Home stretch. Here on the Guy Benson Show, thanks for tuning in. And if you're listening on the broadcast, you are hearing, in my view, what is one of the hottest jams of 2021. Coldplay and BTS collaborating on my universe. And it has some strong 80s vibes. This is part of the reason why I love some of Dua Lipa's stuff, some of the weekend stuff. It has a little bit of that throwback to 80s sound. And I like 80s sound. When it comes to music, and once I heard this song, I was actually in an Uber, and it's a rarity, but I asked the Uber driver to turn the radio up because I wanted to hear the song, and I Googled, what is this? And I have since listened to it, oh, I don't know, 100 times, 200. I was doing some work on the airplane the other day. I just had it on loop for probably half an hour. It's good, and there's a cool video that was done with the Empire State Building where they lit it up. And they coordinate it with the beat of the song with all different colors and stuff. It was just cool. So, to me, it's a bop. It's a banger. I endorse it. My Universe by Coldplay and BTS. I wanted to start the home stretch with something that I wanted to hear, that I was going to enjoy hearing, because I suspect what I'm about to hear, I will not enjoy as much. Producer Christine has a new idea, a new scheme. She comes up with these from time to time where she thinks that there's an opportunity to make a lot of money fast, and she tries to convince her husband to do something, frankly, dumb. I think the last one was they were going to start breeding horses. Was that, was that, I think, no. I want- she and her sister were going to...
7: I wanted to buy a horse, but I think the last one we talked about was uh, selling the house, remember?
2: Well, that was another one where you wanted to make a huge profit on your house and you had enlisted a real estate agent to come take a look around. You didn't even tell your husband and you also realized, well, maybe we wouldn't be able to afford a new house, the type of upgrade that you had in mind because the other houses are also getting more expensive. So I'm not sure you'd really thought that one through entirely either. He found out about that appraisal on this show because he was listening to The Home Stretch. Uh, And that was immediately thrown in the garbage can, just kicked to the curb, that idea. So you got the horses, you've got the house, and now there's something involving a car. Is that right?
7: Yes, I would like to sell my car. Uh, I don't own my car, but I would like to sell it. Let me paint you a little picture. Uh, Okay. Okay, so uh, Bobby and I uh, Lisa, our cars because I like to get a new car every few years. It's nice, right? And then you never have to worry about the wear and tear. Now, I don't know if you know this guy, but there is a shortage of cars right now. So the price for pre-owned cars is skyrocketing. It is just insane. So my idea, and Dan, don't look at me funny. Hear me out. My idea is actually very smart. I heard it on a podcast the other day.
2: Oh, well, it must be good.
7: What I would like to do is uh, pay off because we owe like only maybe like 5000 left on the lease. And then I want to buy the car outright, you know, like the buyout price at the end of the lease. So whatever that is, I want to do that right now, own the car, and then I want to sell it. And I probably, I told Bobby, I can easily probably make, I would say about nine to $10,000 right away. Now you ask, well, what happens, Christine? You don't have a car. There are great lease specials going on right now. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to be set on one type of car. So I will look for the best deal where I put no money down and just get back into a part, car payment. Boom. I just pocketed almost ten thousand dollars.
2: Well, no, but you'd need those dollars to then lease your next car. No, no, no. You would need a car.
7: Yes, but I'm not, I'm gonna find a uh, I'm gonna find a good deal. I'm gonna find something that you know maybe oh like maybe a thousand down. I'm pretty good at haggling. I'm the one that always gets the cars for us. Usually Bobby drops me off and then I'll call him a few hours later and say, this is what we got. This is the deal, you know, because I can put the tears on. I can walk out. I can stomp out. You know, they get annoyed with me. They just want me out of the dealership. So usually, I
2: believe that. What's the crying? Do you come up with some story, like some sob story about a sick child or something? Do you lie?
7: Um... I don't – I'm not sure if I should say that on air, but listen, I do what I have to do. I mean you
2: come – in fairness, you did talk about how your mother is, with all due respect to Judgey Joyce, a scam artist herself, right, where she buys things and then puts her very, very, very old version of those things in the box and returns it for a full refund and then keeps the new one, which is actual stealing. You admitted that on the air. So I wonder, have you inherited – You did I actually got a text from my mom listening to that show like, um, I think Christine just described a crime. And I was like, yeah, her mom's crime. So now I'm wondering, have you sort of taken that model and maybe walked it back a little bit? But you go marching into some, I don't know, Buick dealership and you say, here's what I need. And then, you know, you turn on the waterworks in order to get what you want. I'm just like what would be how would you try to convince me? I'm a, I'm a used car salesman. Cookie walks through the door. What is Cookie telling me to make me part with a vehicle for much less money than I want to?
7: So what happens first is you'll – I'll pick out, you know, not the top model car. I'll pick out a lower base model and you'll say to me, okay, you know, that's such and such a price. And I'll say, "Mm, okay, let's – you know what? Uh, Hey, uh, I'm going to call you Joe, okay? Hey, Joe, why don't you and I go walk around this lot? Let's just see what else you got there, you know – Uh, maybe my husband will upgrade me a little bit. Let's just go take a walk. Then I go and find the one that I had already looked at because I went before. And I was like, what about this one? He's like, oh, that's the upgraded, you know, model. Yeah, but Joe, I mean, oh, and also just so you know, you go at the, in December, yeah, you go in December, preferably like the 30th or even the 31st because Joe wants to get that car off the lot. Joe wants to mm. bank that car, you know? He wants it off. He wants that number. So, Joe, this is gonna work for both of us right now. I really want that car. It's a safe car. It's a brand new car. I don't have to worry about, you know, breaking down anywhere. You you need that car to be sold, don't you? We got we gotta make a deal here.
2: I mean, that's all normal haggling. I'm not hearing any sort of insane, you know, weepy, teary. So eye. Joe then
7: usually tells me no. Oh that's okay. when the tears start. You know, uh, I, I, it's, it's been a couple hours now. I'm starting to get cranky. Hours.
2: Your lips are yes. quivering. And what, what do you tell Joe?
7: So the reason that I start crying is, okay, I have to leave. My husband is basically saying we're done. He's not paying this. Forget it. You know what? I'm just going to take my car back or he said we'll go somewhere else. Joe, I don't want to do that. I want a car now, Joe. I don't want to leave here without a car.
2: I mean, okay, you're getting emotional, certainly, and mm-hmm. maybe he's just, you know, Joe starts to panic a little bit, but this is not necessarily emotionally compelling. Oh, oh, the oh, big... and then I'll
7: bring Bobby in, and then I'll call Bobby and be like, come in and bring Megan. Got to bring the kid in.
2: All right, so here comes the child. Okay. Do you coach Megan to cry? You know, I
7: don't coach her, but actually the last time we went and Megan, they came in... Uh, it was between two cars, the, the nicer model and the other one. Megan started crying. She didn't like the other one. She literally started crying. I don't want to be in that car, mommy. <laughs> so I don't know if it necessarily helped, but she, she's got chops. You know, I think she's going to be good at this as well. I just want you to know.
2: It's a cute little family scam you got running there altogether. So it's Bobby's a not involved
7: in this usually. He's the one screaming oh. at me to let's go. He's like over it. Um, but I just What does wanted- he think
2: of this uh, this other idea that you've just presented where you're going to pay off the lease, and then buy the car, and then immediately sell the car, and then immediately start leasing another car. What what does he think about that one?
7: He said it's too many moving parts. He he believes Mm -hmm. the podcast that I was listening to is lying just to make Mm -hmm. a story. And then he also wanted to know where are we getting the money for the loan for the car. Now, I mean, Mm -hmm. we can take it obviously out of savings, but he's like, and what happens if we don't actually get the deal that you think we're going to get so I have a better idea? So it's not really – we're not worried about the money in our savings. I'm going to go to Judge Joyce, and I can get a zero percent loan, obviously from her. And then I'll just say to her, a loan from your mother. Yeah, and then I'll just pay her back, but I don't have to pay interest.
2: Do the waterworks work on her? I'd imagine. Oh
7: no, 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 no. There, I have to she come can with. See like, right
2: through that. She's no. like, she's like, no, sweetie, I know exactly what you're doing. No, I, what she
7: wouldn't call me sweetie. <laughs> She'd be like, Chris, get real. That's what you would say to me <laughs> in that vote. Tone.
2: Zero chance.
7: But if I Zero gave her the facts and explained to her how the, what I'm thinking, I would have a better chance. Um, I really don't understand why more people aren't. Maybe people are doing this. I don't know if you want to ask people out there, are you doing this? I don't think. No, they're
2: not. Then they might now because they're going to be like, I heard it on a podcast. But it's going to be our podcast. It's going to be the Guy Benson Show podcast. And I just want to... Clearly state for the record that the host of this program, whose name is on the show, I, Guy Benson, do not endorse this plan at all. Consult your family accountant or some other professional. Do not listen to some harebrained scheme from a woman that you know as Cookie. That's just my warning, and I tend to agree with Bobby, unsurprisingly, on this one. A lot of moving parts a lot of lack of guarantees and it seems like the juice isn't worth the squeeze potentially. Is that the phrase that people use sometimes? That is my fear on your behalf.
7: But you never know unless you try. And he, he won't even give me the information of our car to really like go, you know, cause I was like, just give me the details or give me the website so I can go look at it. He, he just ignores it. I just texted him again. I said, Bobby, Please give me the information so I can log in and look at our lease deal. He will not. I
2: want to see a video like surveillance footage of producer Christine with a magnifying glass trying to find the VIN number on her vehicle. Well,
7: that's what I, I and think- taking
2: like hours to do it.
7: So the thing is, I need to sell this kind of through a third party, and you need the VIN number. So I got to figure out. I got to Google where to find a VIN number. I guess it's in the car somewhere.
2: I know you're listening, Bobby. You got to stand strong on this one. And to me, it's a hard no. Yet again, she'll think of something else. It's it's a car. It's a horse. It's a house. I'm waiting for the airplane. The jet is coming at some point, and uh, we'll see how that flies, if and when it comes. We're out of time. It's a no from me, dog. It's a no from me. Back here for the Guy Benson Show on Thursday from Chicago. Thank you for listening tonight. We'll talk to you then. Have a good evening. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. And, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz
7: every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.